Hello and welcome to the Thriving Three Counties podcast with me, Dan Barker. Conversations with inspiring business people throughout the three counties of Herefordshire, Worcestershire and Gloucestershire. And now it's time for today's episode. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Thriving Three Counties podcast. I'm Dan Barker and I'm here in the studio with today's guest. He's a co-founder of Gifford Circus, a multi-instrumentalist slash composer and director of an award-winning music tuition company called The Music Guru. After spending a year playing the Irish bars in Paris with a thrash trad folk band called Fion, he returned to England where he earned a degree at the London College of Music. In 2000, he was invited by Nell Gifford, who had seen Fionn play in Oxford, to direct the music for a show she was starting. That show was to be Gifford Circus. He continued to direct the music until 2007, when he left to get married. He started to teach music privately and clocked up quite a number of students on different instruments. He soon realised he'd need some help, and in 2015, the music bureau was officially set up. As they entered the school circuit, he realised that peripatetic teaching was in need of reform and he set about trying to correct this and bring a new modern approach to music teaching that is more accessible and successful for the students. He is Pete Sen. Hello, Pete. Hello. How are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. Yeah, good. Good. Thank you very much for coming in and recording this episode. It's okay. <laughs> uh, so just before we get started, your, your best website for you is musicguru.me. Yes, that's right. People can go there and, and see what you do. Yes, uh, just a little bit of information about the tuition that we provide and what we do. Um, so um, that's we also have a Facebook group, Music Guru okay. as well. Um, okay. So either of those, really. Okay, all right. So come into the group and sort of get involved. And yeah, that's right. If out. you go on to the Facebook group, you get to see all the uh, a list of... Um, exam successes that we've had this term there's quite a few this term quite a few distinctions okay. as well so uh we're all feeling pretty good at the moment and you can sort of see Excellent. that on a facebook group uh, okay and is that like a group rather than a page or well it is a page but um it's parents kind of... often comment on you know yeah their, um whenever we post results they'll comment or thank the teachers or do that sort of thing and and um you know but it has all the information about what's going on as well Got you, got you, mm-hmm. okay. So a bit of kind of community around yeah. what you're doing and uh, um, yeah, that's right. keep everyone involved. Yeah, yeah, excellent, cool. All right, well, uh, lots to talk about from the intro that you, you sent. Sounds like you've, uh, you've, you, you've done a lot over the years, but um, let's just go back to beginnings. Are you, are you sort of, did you grow up around this way? Are you, are you local no, or you I moved was, around? I was born in Canada. Oh, right, okay. London, right. Ontario in Canada. And yeah. then... Um, Moved to England when I was about three years old. My father okay. was a, a doctor. Yeah. Um, we then moved. We were, we moved to a small, well, it's quite a big village in the um, near Stafford, and then we moved to Rochdale. And when I was about four, my father passed away. Right. So we moved back to. I guess my parents hadn't sold the house, so my mum and um, the three of us, my sisters, moved back to Nosall. Mm-hmm. And um, I grew up there, and then I studied, um, went to high school in Stafford, where I met, um, was at school with some other musicians who were in the band Fjorn that I talked about. Originally, mm-hmm. we were a busking outfit. Okay. Um, so we had, um, I say thrash trad, because we had, it was three violins, a guitarist, vocalist, and I'd play basically a snare drum. Okay. But we basically played Irish reels and jigs as fast as we possibly could. (laughs) And we actually upset a lot of the trad guys because we were meddling stuff and playing really quickly. And uh, and these were some great musicians as well in the band. Yeah. Um, And then went out to Paris um, to busk Mm -hmm. um, and ended up being asked to play at all these Irish bars and didn't realise how big an Irish community there was in Paris. But I think at the time... There was about twenty-three Irish bars. Oh right, um, okay. And you know, pa- uh, quite centrally as well. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that was great fun. Nice. Okay. And so was music your thing from day one, kind of thing? Or? Yeah, it always has been. I mean, I went through a period of pretending that I was going to do medicine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because my father was a doctor, but actually he was also a sitar player and singer. He right. Was, he okay. was from Bangladesh. Right. And um, and so I think when he 
because my my other sister, she's now a consultant. But I think when my father died, my only real memory of him because I was quite young mm. was him singing to me in you know Indian songs and stuff. And um, so I, I think when he died, that kind of left a bit of a hole. Mm. So immediately I started to listen to records and would just sit by a record player. And and I think by the time I was... Well, I remember getting Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds for my fifth birthday. That's how right. into music I was at okay. a really early age. Well. No, I wasn't, yeah, <laughs> and please, Zenyetta Mondata. So I was, um, I was quite a hardcore fan, even at that age. Yeah, and yeah. So, and then I was just sort of tinkering away on, on instruments that were about the house. I never really had any formal tra- training or lessons. I, I had some lessons at school, which we'll probably get onto because mm. they were terrible, yeah. you know. Um, and so, <clears throat> um, I mean, when I was a teenager and getting into the Irish music, I taught myself to play the fiddle. Mm-hmm. And that was based on what I'd learnt age about seven at school when I was trying to have violin lessons. But, that you know, I didn't actually learn much in those lessons at all. Right, okay. Um, so yes, I've always been into music, always wanted to do it. And eventually when I said to my mum, I want to go to music college, she was actually quite happy. And I I had the lessons I needed then because I needed to get to grade five on piano and grade eight on drums. And I only had two years to do it, which is, I did, I didn't think anything of it at the time. I just did it. But now teaching, I know that it normally takes five to eight years to get there. Right. So, um, I, um, managed to cram that in pretty (laughs) Pretty well, and and went to the London College of Music for an interview on my birthday, and uh, I, I mean, I remember coming out of there, and my my stepfather saying, you know, that's the last we'll be seeing of this place because it was, you know, very kind of we, all these um, we could hear opera singing coming out of all the classes and stuff, you know, and I, I've hardly had any classical training at this point, right, and um, and I got an unconditional offer. I think I, I just took all these instruments <laughs> with me. I said, right, what do you want me to play? (laughs) And they just said, okay, well, just the pieces that you prepared. So I did that. And they just must have liked my attitude, you know, the fact that I was just so desperate to get in there. And so um, so that was was great. That was the start of things. It's amazing what you can do when you're just determined, isn't it? And your heart's in it, I guess. Yeah. And also I think probably... I was at that age where I was maybe a little bit cocky and thought that I was a better musician than I was... (laughs) Um, and pretty fearless. I mean, I wouldn't have dreamt to do that now. <laughs> really? Yeah, if I went for a job interview, you know, um, <clears throat> uh, that was quite daunting. I think possibly, I, I, maybe I just didn't think I was going to get in there, so I didn't care. I don't know. Right, okay. But yeah. um, I, I certainly had balls of steel in those days compared to, you know, I mean, at the age of 17, I just sort of got on a plane to Paris to go and play, you know. We got, we got a gig supporting the saw doctors at the Elysee Montmartre and I, I just said to my mum I've got to do this and off I went and um you know and I don't know but my 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 stepson when he was 17 he never even went past our front door <laughs> you know I think maybe it's a generational thing but I know I don't know we just yeah didn't really think about it in those days yeah yeah it's funny isn't it like uh yeah I've spoken about that sort of thing before on the podcast because when you're young like yeah, you just you just sort of do things without worrying about the consequences so much, don't you? And yeah. I sometimes wonder how to bring some of that into, you know, my life now, our lives. Like you know, some of that attitude because mm-hmm. you know we, in a way, like the more you sort of know, the more you you got to worry about sometimes, haven't you? Yes. And, and I mean, I know you have you have responsibilities and things like that as you get older, which is a bit different. But still, just to bring an element of that in would be quite useful sometimes, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think so. Um, there comes a time where, where, you know, I think in any business or <clears throat> certainly once I left uh, the circus, for example, and I wanted to set up the music career, I was doing stuff like I was working at a school, um, helping out in the performing arts department, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't really... It, was, it wasn't well paid. It was stressful. You know, I, I was I was key working some kids that had had really rough time with things, and it was mm. it was pretty depressing. And I had to make a leap of faith to say, right, I'm going to set up this music guru now. You know, mm. I think I've got enough students to make it work, and drop everything and do it. And again, I did repeated that a couple of years later when I decided to set up um, the kids' studio. Mm-hmm. You know, if I couldn't pay the rent, it was going to be a real worry. 
<clears throat> and in both cases, I took the risk. And in both cases, it paid off. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I think I probably worried a lot more about doing that, you know, this than I did when I was 17 about... Um, going to Paris and, you know, I mean, I, I got to the airport, I didn't even have a real address where I was supposed <laughs> to be meeting these guys. And I got in a taxi, the taxi driver refused to take me, probably because of the way I looked. Um, I was always getting stopped at airports and searched. Really? Yeah. And, um, and then a policeman came up and, t- and grabbed this taxi driver and said, look, no, it's the law, you have to take him. So right. that was that was my introduction to Paris. I thought I don't know where I'm going to end up dead in some grove, yeah, woody yeah. grove somewhere, you know. And, I, and he's asking me in where I'm supposed to be going, and I'm pointing at a piece of paper with a French address on it. And he doesn't speak English, and he's already annoyed with me, you know, for, for I don't know, um, lowering the standard of his cab by <laughs> sitting in it. And I, I probably had a load of instruments with me as well, actually. And um, so yeah, but I did, yeah, it's. Uh, I guess danger and that you don't really think too much about it when you're that age. Yeah, yeah. And and how did you get on at school? Sort of generally, was it were you sort of one track mind on the music and everything yeah, else? Sort of just. I wasn't very good at school, to be honest. Right. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I was good enough to kind of get by doing as little as possible. Really, I, I, I didn't. I mean, school wasn't very good to me or my friends. I mean, I have a group of friends who, we, since lockdown, we meet up on Zoom every Sunday now, religiously, and we're all over the world. Yeah. And uh, we all agree that school was probably the worst thing that ever happened to us, the particular really? school that we went to. Right. You know, and all of us have done all right out of it. Yeah. <clears throat> but the teachers um, were just, some of it was shocking. Um, oh, yeah. You know, and I'm not t- talking about the music teachers necessarily. All of it was was a bad experience. And then <clears throat> when I did, um, when I was 10 years old, I got filmed for the Live Aid documentary. Um, they came to our school, they did a film and they interviewed me. And I, um, so I said a few lines about what the government should be doing. I don't know, I was 10 years old. <laughs> they, 10 years later, they wanted to follow it up. So I got invited back to the school <laughs> yeah. to be interviewed. And the same teachers were there. And I had a nice chat with the head, actually. He would. He just said to me, "Look, you've done really well. You went to the London College of Music. I think I would, that's where I was when I, at the time of doing this interview." And he said, "Look, I know that we can't claim any credit for that because we just didn't support you at school with it." You know? Really? Yeah. Then he knew that it was, mm. it was like that. There were a couple of teachers that that were, you know, interested in what I was doing. Yeah. Um, I know the English teacher. He was he was a really good pianist and stuff. But um, yeah, it was pretty um, it was pretty poor. And, and you know, even my A-level music, I didn't get A-level music <clears throat> because we got taught the wrong syllabus. <laughs> so I went into the exam with my colleagues, set an exam um, that was supposed to be Marla's Fifth, and it was symphonic poems. And <laughs> choose a symphonic poem and write about it. So I was like, ah, oh, number seven, you know, and just waffled. And the music teacher sort of left, snuck out the hall, and we never saw her again. Really? Yes. So everybody <laughs> failed. Everybody failed. But I'd already got my unconditional offer. So right, I, I was okay. okay but it could have been well, very different. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> bizarre. But having said that, the good news is, I mean, I go into a lot of schools now, obviously, teaching with my company. And things have changed dramatically. Yeah. You know, yeah even schools yeah. that aren't necessarily doing great in their Ofsted way better than what I experienced as a child. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Okay. So, um, so yeah, that, that experience in Paris then sounds like it was a bit of a sort of turning point in a way, maybe, because you, you, you know, took that decision to kind of leave home and go and do it and yeah, it flee was, the nest. <laughs> it was it was a massive turning point, actually, because it, not so much that, but what followed on from that. So we were playing in the Irish bars, and that was quite a shady uh, you know, I mean, it was there was a lot of violence and um, really, yeah. The, the bars would be open till probably about one or two, and um, you know, I, 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 lots of we'd we'd have to sort of have an escape route ready where we would just pick up our instruments and leg it. Really, be class- yeah, it used to kick <laughs> off a lot. I mean, I don't want to use any stereotype uh, stereotypes or whatever, but the, you know, lots of Irishmen drinking late, you know, having a great time, and then suddenly on a, on a, you know flick of a switch it's it's get the hell out of here <laughs> right okay <laughs> but we had a great time as well and they looked after us you know the the, the, the these irish bars and um the, the punters they really really looked after us and sort yeah. of made sure that if it did kick off that we were safe you're protected um, right 
And so, yeah, it was great. And then, um, so that when we came back, <clears throat> I went to the London College of Music. The rest of the band went to Oxford. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, so we played a lot in Oxford at the Oxford Balls, student balls and stuff. And that's where we met Nell, and that's when she used to come and see us play. Right, um, okay. Quite religiously, actually. Yeah. Um, and so that then led to, I think I, 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 after I left college, I'd been working in a bar in London for a few years. Sort of fell into that really difficult to get out of rat trap. You know, I, I didn't want to, I was happy just being a bar, bar man or bar supervisor. I didn't want to get any higher. Because I, right. I think it was Whitbread. They were always saying, "Oh, do you want you know, do you want to be a, you know, an area manager or something?" I, I said, "No, I just want to do music." So I kind of stuck right. to my ground. But living in London was just so expensive, and um, so on a treadmill until um, Joe, who was the singer of Fionn, um, and also Nell's brother-in-law, um, came because he, he ended up marrying Nell's sister Clover, um, said, "Nell's setting up a circus. Do you want to come and do the music?" So, right. so that was great. So that was my ticket out of London, okay, which I desperately gotcha. needed. I didn't see it at the time, but absolutely. Because you, know. you were sort of like working late in a bar, <clears throat> having a few drinks, going home, sleeping. Yeah, getting back on much. and going round and round. And occasionally, I might do it on a Sunday night, play in the bar or something, you know, for a few free drinks. Yeah, <laughs> <clears throat> um, I did quite a lot of writing in those days as well, but I just didn't, you know, I didn't have a band. I didn't know any musicians really. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, and then then um, we set up Gifford Circus in 2000, and that was it. We were off. Okay, and so um, so now now came came to you to look after the music side of things, yeah. and there was a couple of other people, and you basically put the whole thing together. Yeah, so there was um, myself, um, Nell, and her husband Totty Gifford, and Gerald Balding, who's Claire Balding's cousin. Okay. <coughs> um, Great chap, big sort of um, larger than life uh, character. Who his dad, his dad's Toby Balding, who's a horse trainer. So, and he's already been working in America in circuses. In fact, right. he was working for a circus called Circus Flora. And when Nell's mum had her horse accident and was basically <clears throat> um, quite severely brain damaged, Nell went out and stayed with Gerald at the circus to kind of uh, get away from stuff. And that's where she got bitten by the whole circus thing, bug, you know. Right. Okay. So she and although I know that she'd always wanted to sort of do that sort of thing from a child, um, but that's where she probably realised that it was maybe possible. And then mm-hmm. she met Tati, who's you know landscape gardener, got all the equipment to logistically move everything and build nice. everything. Yeah. And so they, they, I think they, they managed to buy an old dilapidated circus wagon showman's wagon and then they kind of replicated it and built their own around it to give it that sort of uh, village green circus show type feel that they had in those days yeah um and yeah and the music was really basic i mean there was to begin with there was me and joe and we literally had i think it was a guitar a keyboard i played the violin a bit and um and joe sang oh and the snare drum yeah, and the music system was an old seventies hi-fi system <laughs> that we plugged into a really basic PA system. <laughs> so yeah, really basic, but that's all we could really afford. And yeah, it just goes to show, though, doesn't it? Like when people are starting off and things that you know you don't have to have all the kit, everything. You've just got to give it a go. Haven't yeah, you? I'm I'm <laughs> I'm amazed at what we got away with actually. But then really, yeah. everything got trashed on tour. Yeah. You know, I had this big mixing desk which I took and, oh, just store it in the lorry. Great. Nobody told me that the, the roof of the trailer leaked. <laughs> and I had to pour water out of this mixing desk oh, the no. next morning. And Joe was like, oh, don't worry. Just don't plug it in. We'll get a hairdryer and we'll dry it out. And I was just looking at him thinking, you're crazy, but it works actually. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I remember doing a show and um, I went to get the violin out and that was in bits. Oh, and no. what I hadn't realised was... Violins are put together with water-based glue. Uh-huh. So that if you have to repair them, you just get them wet and it'll come apart. Okay. Because it was right. in the big top, it was damp, and it just fell apart. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's one of the comedy moments of... I think people thought it was a bit of a joke, picking up a violin by the neck and just the strings holding the whole thing together. Really? <laughs> yeah, like a string puppet. 
What did you do then? Um, <laughs> Show must go on. I think I made a yeah, I made a joke of it, and um, I can't remember what we. I think we just made something up on the spot um, with a guitar and a snare drum, um, <laughs> and I got it. You know, I took it in and got it fixed the next day, so it wasn't a big deal. Yeah. Um, although, if I'd have known what that violin was worth at the time. I wouldn't have let that happen. Oh, really? I think I bought it for about 200 quid. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, I took it reasonably, yeah, about a year ago to be fixed. It had a crack in the neck. I thought, well, that's devalued it, but um, but it won't be worth much anyway. And I uh, took it into Cheltenham, the chap in Cheltenham that um, fixes violins. And he said, oh, um, do you want a valuation? I said, well, um, I don't know. He said... Well, it's probably not worth much, to be honest, but it wouldn't be worth more than a thousand pounds or two. Right. Okay. <laughs> and I, wow. I mean, I suppose in, in terms of violins, that probably isn't very much, but to me it was. You yeah, know, yeah. It was a massive um, markup on what I'd had to pay for it. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, in the years that you were there, because it was seven years, right, that you were yeah. doing, doing the circus, uh, how, how did it sort of change from those initial days to by the time <clears> you left? Um I don't know if it changed massively by the time I left. The first year, we were literally tearing across the countryside without a clue, probably annoying a lot of people. Um, I know Tati would probably um, called in a lot of favours, you know, right. <laughs> uh, or asked a lot of favours for us to make it to make it possible. Um, what for places to pitch up and yeah, uh, I mean, we we did a lot of private um, pitch up on private property as well. Yeah. Um, I remember we did one in Dimmock, actually. Yeah. This massive mansion, I can't remember who owned it now, but it was horrendous. The the, 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 the people that... Oh, it was. They hired us out for, I think, a week and um, invited all their posh friends and stuff, and I hated every minute of it. Really? Absolutely <laughs> abominable behaviour, you know. But anyway, um, but there was uh, places like... Um, I think it was Tati's uncle, or Nell's uncle, in Mindy. And that was a field, and that was a desert. You know, we were just stuck in this field. With, and if you didn't have a car, um, you were there. It was, it, <clears throat> it was a desert. But, um, <laughs> but some of the grounds we went to became real favourites. Like we used to go to the Hay and Wye Festival, and we loved that. That would yeah. be our first ground. Yeah. But sixty, if we sold sixty tickets, it would be a sellout. And the seating okay. was those, you know, pretty much those, you know, plastic brown sort of school chairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That we'd sort of offload. Um, I think the ring was slightly smaller and it was just like a marquee. Yeah. You know, with no banners or basic lighting and a sawdust ring and that was it. And um some people will say that, that they preferred it that way, you know. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Then <clears throat> the sh- the costumes and started getting slightly more elaborate as the years went by. The, 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 we put in um, extra seating, we increased the size of the big top, not massively, probably by a couple of rows. Um, we got a stage. The musicians got a stage, which was um, <laughs> uh, it was it was made by a friend of Tati's who was a carpenter, and so it was like this frame where you'd have to lay the, the planks of wood on top. Okay, okay, but yeah, yeah. because the grounds we went on weren't even, and if these planks <laughs> didn't sit, you know, tightly in with each other, yeah, it yeah. didn't work. You just couldn't do it. <laughs> And so it would take us half a day just to put this thing up. It was awful. We joke about it. And this, every time we saw this carpenter guy who would come round to see the show, oh, who's a stage, lads? <laughs> oh, it's great. Absolutely fantastic. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Whereas actually we'd have been yeah, better off just on the ground. But um, yeah, but it hasn't, it didn't, you know, it was always the same sort of format. Monday, um, early show, evening show, strip the whole thing down, move it, set it up on a Tuesday, Wednesday day off. Um, three shows on a Saturday, Sunday. It was quite intense. Quite, but, yeah, um, I was going to say, it's pretty yeah. kind of gruelling. I think the main difference between now and and when I was there is that we used to have many more parties. I mean, it was just one ongoing party <laughs> once, once we got on the road. How long would you be touring for at the time? <clears throat> um, from May to mid-September. Okay. So uh, rehearsals were really intense. Um and I didn't really enjoy it that much because we'd be freezing cold. And the thing is, because we were musicians, we were just kind of expected to just be in the big top the whole day, you know, until right. sometimes until 11 at night, just right. in case 
we were needed, but most of the time we weren't. Right, okay. Um, I probably, if I'd have done that again, would have suggested otherwise that we did. Other, I just, I don't know. I just didn't think about asking questions in those days. I just got on. <laughs> but, um, yeah, once we got on the road and we hit Hay on Y, then it was just one long party. You know, we had an opening <laughs> night party and then it didn't stop. Really? really? Yeah. Whereas now it's much more, um, I mean, I still talk to Tweedy quite a lot. Yeah. So he keeps me updated on, on what how things have changed and it is much more business-like. You know, people disappear off sites during days off. Nobody's really there. It's like a ghost town. Right. Whereas that never happened when I was there. Right. It was yeah. always, you know, make the absolute most of the day off, be in the pub at 11 in the morning. <laughs> yeah. And then pour out of there. But, um, so, but, you know, it's got bigger, it's got more um, sophisticated, you might say, um, more staff, um, and I think that just like any expanding village, almost. I, I mean, like I was saying to you earlier about being on tour and hardly ever seeing anybody. Yeah. You, know, you sort of, you see, the only time you see each other is at a party, which might happen once a month, or um, or backstage just before you go on. Yeah. But because we were always in the big top playing, we didn't even, you know, we only saw the people, <laughs> the horses getting ready and that sort of stuff. Yeah. So you, you sort of have a few people, like I would hang out with the musicians, you know. Yeah. Occasionally, um, the Russians would have this row of caravans, which you'd have to tiptoe past because you'd be dragged in and made to have vodka poured down your neck <laughs> really? if, if you didn't. <laughs> so they, they were always at it. I didn't know how they did it because then they'd have to get on a horse and do all these stunts or whatever, <laughs> even though you knew that the night before they'd been hammering it, to, you know. It. So, <clears throat> so I suppose as it's got even bigger now, people probably get together even less you know there's yeah, yeah, probably more families yeah. on tour than there were right okay um, yeah yeah and yeah i don't know so how when, when you first approached about the circus because it sounds like there wasn't really a circus there was just a dream at that stage how how did now kind of sell the dream to you i mean how did you because um, you must have you know talking about the way you've just just described it and everything lots of fun i'm sure but also lots of really hard work and some grueling times so you must have like had a love for it that come from somewhere yeah i think well the, what happened was nell had written this book called jossa about her life <coughs> working for um some small circuses in england okay um jossa being vernacular for um somebody that works in a circus it's not born in the circus okay like an outsider basically okay right um and so Gifford Circus, basically, we're all jossers. <laughs> Probably not, not as bad as it sounds. Um, but she'd written this book, and then the Hey On Why Festival was coming up, and, and she was invited to uh, do a reading or speak about the book that she'd written. Yeah. And they said, well, you know, wh why don't you bring your circus? And rather than say, well, I haven't got one, <laughs> she said, yeah, that's a great idea. Excellent. So, um, I, yeah, so... I, it's sort of, uh, Joe turned up at the pub in London, the singer, and said, you know, Pete, um, I'm getting married. I hadn't seen him for years, actually. He just turned up, I'm getting married to, remember Nell? I'm getting married to um, her sister. And Nell's starting a circus, and she wants to know if you'll come and do the music. Right. I don't think I thought twice about it. I said, yeah, sounds great. Really? Yeah. yeah. You just, you wanted to I get out of to London. Out, yeah. yeah. So, um, so... I went over, and she told me about it. I, met, I saw the wagons. I saw where they were living up on Seven Springs. And um, we auditioned a contortionist, Nikki from Birmingham. I met the slack rope walker, Kubana, um, who plays a fiddle on a rope. <laughs> um, you might sometimes see him busking in Cheltenham, actually doing his routine. But, right. Um, and that was our show, I think. And, and a guy called Chris, he was a clown. Um, and we went to... The, we it was May Day and we went and we did sort of, sort of yeah about six in the morning. Oh, it's that was hardcore um, playing fiddle in a in a field with um, uh, with the contortionist and a, <laughs> a, yeah and a rope walker and we did that and that was our first kind of gig. Yeah, and then um, why was it at six in the morning? May Day. Oh, sorry, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know why it has to be six in the morning. It's just, well, it's not really my thing. So we did, that was our first official Gifford Circus gig together. Right. And I was playing fiddle while um, Nikki was doing contortion. 
<laughs> it was just so surreal. And then, um, and then we went back, and the big top went up. And you know, I say big top; it was tiny, but it went up, and we just the dancers turned up to my delight. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then, um, and then we started rehearsing the show, and, and Gerald had this big life-size skeleton puppet, the sort of thing that he, you know, um, uh, had an act with, and we had. Helen and Shana, who did fire skills and trapeze, indoor trapeze, very small setup. Yeah. Um, so a couple of acts and you know dancers and um, and Chris the clown and that was that, that was it really. Right. Okay. <clears throat> no. And oh, and Dory and the juggler. So, and all of us were from the Midlands, pretty much. <laughs> Furthest away was probably Bristol. Right. Yeah. Um, it wasn't in fact until probably about two thousand and four when we first got international people in right okay apart from one of the clowns but um a couple of the clowns but i think they were living in the uk anyway at the time okay yeah yeah cool so um yeah so so, so then you said you left when you got married basically was that the same yeah of, uh, i'd had a bit of a health issue with my hips i had to have a hip replacement when i was 30 right um so and and i don't know i was i was struggling a little bit with um the direction of the music that Nell wanted to take the circus in. She'd got this French band, street band from Paris, who were basically really cacophonous, quite left uh, left field sort of um, avant-garde. And she didn't want me to direct them. She wanted okay. me to leave them doing just exactly what they do. Right. But she still wanted me to be the musical director. Right. So I, I said, well, I'm not then. I'm a, I'm a manager, basically. I'll be getting them in the morning and I'll be, you know, making sure that they're there on time, but I won't actually be doing what I do. So after umming and ahhing a lot about it, and I was, yeah, <clears throat> you know, I wanted to sort of um, just do other stuff and, and get married and um, and live a normal life for a bit. So that was the time to go, really. And right, I think yeah. I made the right decision as well. Yeah, yeah. It's the right time for you. And a lot of people say, "Would you go back?" I don't think I would now. Having seeing what it is now, I know, I know that if I did, it wouldn't be the same. It's yeah, a totally yeah. different animal. And um, but it, I do go and see it, and it does feel really weird does because it? nobody knows who the hell I am, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and it's just like stepping back, at, um, going back to a house that you used to live in, and there's other yeah, people living there, yeah. and they don't know who you are, you yeah. know. But um, <clears throat> yeah, um, sometimes you, with that sort of thing, yeah, you're better off. Having your run, aren't you? And just having yeah, the memories. Leaving on a high. Trying to, yeah, ever go back and sort of recreate it. Because like you say, it's it's a bit like when you meet up with your mates from school or uni or something, isn't it? And it's, yeah. It's, uh, it's it's not quite the same as when you were 20. You know? No. <laughs> Things I mean, have moved I think, on. That's right. I think even Totty went back once and they, they didn't know who he was. Really? His name's over the... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. he, he threw a wobbly because he was told that he couldn't... I think he got some you know, seats reserved or whatever. He couldn't sit where he wanted to sit and um, and they just didn't know who he was. Right, okay. Which really right. amazed me because, I mean, his picture's all over the place. It's, it's yeah, in the yeah. books and the merchandise. My picture's still up in the ladies' toilets. Is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Apparently, my wife tells me. Um, so, yeah, it's, it is strange going back and I don't always enjoy it. I enjoy the show, but it, I do come away feeling slightly empty. You know. who, who runs it now then? It's run by trustees. Uh, so for a while, um, Nell's, was it Nell's cousin, Emma Bridgewater's daughter, Lil right. Rice, because uh, Emma Bridgewater is Nell's half sister. Okay. So Lil, who who has a circus routine herself, she's a good singer. Um, she was running it after mm-hmm. Nell died, but then there was, um, I don't know, <clears throat> a bit of a, a bit of arguing between the trustees she's resigned now anyway so i I just know that it's being held in trust for the two boys nels and totty's boys cecil and red okay it's their circus basically so when they're 18 they'll i guess take over it Uh, take over unless unless i suppose they don't want to i don't know Uh, okay how old are they then i think they're probably about 12 13 now right okay yeah i haven't Uh, seen them for years but um but yeah it's theirs right okay gotcha Okay, cool. So, um, right. So, when you, when you decided to come out, then did you have a plan of what you were going to do at that stage, or? Uh... Yes, but I, I th- well, kind of. But I th- I think I thought things would be a lot easier. Really? Yeah, than they were. Um, Why is that? 
just from the point of, I thought, um, becoming being a musician following that, that people would instantly sort of be on board and want to work and, you know, be interested in what my output would be. Yeah. Um, and they weren't, <laughs> to, to put it briefly, I don't know, it's just, I, I sort of thought, okay, I'm going to start writing my own songs, and which I've been doing for ages anyway. I mean, some of the music I, I composed went in the show as well. But I don't know, I just, I just thought I'd find it really easy and make loads of contacts really quickly. And I suppose part of it was I'm a, I'm a bit lazy and I was getting married, so I had lots of other things going on at the same time. Mm. And I kind of lost momentum. Right, okay. Yeah. So then after a couple of years, you know, um, that I'd kind of lost touch. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was almost like starting again. Right. <clears throat> so um, I stayed in Cheltenham. And I had a band, and we, my wife, sit is a great singer, and we we did a bit, but um, yeah, it never really took off. So I was I started teaching um, to bring in some money, and I was that was going all right because I'd could teach quite a few instruments. If okay. I was just teaching one instrument, I wouldn't have survived doing that. Right. I mean, I did loads of other jobs that I hated at the same time, so, you know. <laughs> um, but that yeah, that was a shock. You know, I'd be working in delis and stuff, and I thought this is not what I left the circus to do. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. like. Wow, but I had to. Because you're kind of at the circus, I suppose. You're on stage every night, and there's a certain amount of, I don't know, if you must feel, must make you feel good a certain way. Yeah, like everyone's yeah. watching yeah. you and everything. I remember and getting us, you know, uh, I know it was more about him than me, but a standing ovation from Sir Ben Kingsley. Right. right. Uh, as, I, as I left the stage, um, I think it was more of a, I, I'm here, everyone. Just, it's okay, I'm here, you know. Because he, he was. <laughs> But um, but yeah, you did get that sense of sort of adulation, and and uh, and I used to get fan mail, and I used to sign programs, and, and do all, all that sort of thing, and right. it was great. And then all of a sudden, you know, you sort of somebody, the, the thing you dread most happens. You, I was temping at HMV, and somebody was like, "Didn't you work at the circus?" I was like, nope, somebody else, <laughs> somebody else. <laughs> I just I've got lots of people that look like me, and so it was like down to earth with a you know with a real thud. Right, yeah. And so, um, and then, yeah, I said, well, I've got to just get on with it. So I started teaching. Um, and then I signed up with an agency as well to get me into schools. And they they basically hold the monopoly for teaching in Gloucestershire. Um, right. But the chap who runs it told me that, because I, I teach a lot of rock and pop. I do classical as well. Yeah. He says he they don't do rock and pop lessons at all in schools. Right. So he said, um, I mean, he was he, he knew who I was that I'd worked with the circus, so he, he sort of put me on his books and said, you know, if we don't have anyone that can teach, we'll basically bring you in. <laughs> so I was like, oh, great, okay. And of course, I never got a phone call until it was too late and they'd waited months trying to find somebody else to teach. And right. um, so one school, I basically said to them, because I phoned them up and they said, oh, it's too late. The parents are tired of waiting. I said, well, hang on, I'll go in and do an assembly. But if, if I get students signing up, then they're my students. They're not the students of the agency I work for because I've put in the legwork here. And um, and so I did it. And that was the first school um, that I got. I took all the instruments in. I did an assembly um, demonstrating all the instruments. And then, um, and then it went from there. A couple of more schools. But the teaching, when we took over the teaching, I realised you know, with horror, that the teaching that had gone on with these students hadn't changed much since I was at school. Right, okay. I mean, when I was learning violin, there were three of us or four of us in a, in a group, two of which were prodigies from um, New Zealand, and we just sat and watched them play. Or You know, we learned nothing. <laughs> and it was the same thing. And I, I'd sort of say to the guitar students, what have you been learning? And they'd pull out this folk book and say, row, row, row your boat. <laughs> All right, did you want to learn that? Not really. How long have you been learning it? Six months. Can you play it? No. You know, that. it, it sounds funny, but that's what, you know, and it was uh, at school after school, they all picked it. My heart would sink. They'd pull out this yellow book from the <laughs> bag and say, oh, no, not that. So, you know, do you want to learn ACDC? Do you want to learn this? You know, do you want to, here's here's an example. Do you want to do exams? But we'll do. We'll make it really fun for you. And we'll, um, and suddenly, like a little school like Gretton, we've gone from, I was asked, you know, it took me six months to get in there because they had somebody that does it, you know, who then left because all the students had stopped wanting lessons. So I think there were one or two students left. And I went in and did the assembly. And now we teach, or before COVID, we teach a third of the school. 
Right, well. You know, it's not hard. Kids kids want music in their lives. It's one of the most important things to them. Mm. So you would think it'd be easy to get them to learn, but there's just no... A, there's not the resources in the school, and B, there's nobody inspiring them or telling them that they can do it, mm. you know? Right, okay. And we will help source the instruments. We will help fund lessons if necessary. The school can fund lessons. Yeah. Um, it's, there's just not enough information. So we're trying to kind of reinvent that whole thing. And right, it's working okay. really successfully, which is why we've won the awards, I guess. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> so your approach is more, like you say, kind of going and see what they like and what they want to do rather than telling them you've got to play this yeah. and learn learn it this way. I mean, it thing, has to be controlled. So I won't, for example, go into... I mean, we have a request. Oh, they don't want to do syllabus or the exams. You know, they just want to learn a few songs that they like. Well, that's not going to work because right. it, it has to have structure. There's nothing worse than going into a class and teaching a kid and you don't know what it is that you're going to teach them. Mm-hmm. And then you'll inevitably, they'll get halfway through a song, decide it's too hard, quit, because there's no exam to go to. There's nothing, there's no, you know, nothing to work towards. Yeah. <clears throat> they'll quit because they'll just get bored and you wasted everyone's time and money. Yeah. So I do always say, look, we should, we should do the exams. Also, because a lot of universities these days, the, the, the ones that do medicine and veterinary degrees, you know, they want their students to have an instrument because it shows that they can take on a study and keep going with it over a mm-hmm. number of years, mm-hmm. which shows commitment. Because if you're going to start a medical degree, then obviously that's a skill that you're going to need. And mm. I know people that haven't got into their university of choice because of, they haven't got an instrument uh, right. to do medicine. Right. And also people don't realise that you can earn UCAS points by doing the grades too. Okay. And you need to get to grade three, or they're the equivalent of, to do GCSE music, which is why the uptake for GCSE music is so low. It's because the kids aren't getting the tuition until it's too late. Right, gotcha. Yeah. So and so this is the this is the kind of um, irony of it, is that we find it really difficult to get into schools, and yet schools need us if they're going to get the kids doing GCSE and the performing arts stuff. Mm, um, mm. And I think one of the problems is just that because we're an external <clears throat> company, um, that they flag it up as ex- extra admin or something because the gatekeepers are the reception right, normally. Yeah. You yeah. Know. Um, but it's not the case. We do all the admin, and it's worked really well in all the schools. It works really well, you know. And right. um, we're teaching a lot of children now, yeah, and in rural yeah. areas where they wouldn't normally have access to music. So how many teachers have you got? Um, it's growing all the time. We had 11 before COVID. Um, we then dropped down to about seven, mostly because, and that was just coincidental, really. Um, we had about two or three teachers. One went off to do a master's in Edinburgh, and one went off to do a degree. Mm. And so, and now we're building, I think we're back to about nine or 10 again now, okay. since September. And I've just interviewed another one. So we're looking at 11. But as we go, but, I, you know, I only interview teachers as we need them because I don't mm. want to keep um, there's no point in taking on students unless you've got the the tutor yeah, in place yeah sure are they they employees or are they sort no, of no they're self self-employed, self-employed yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so uh, when you were sort of because we talked before we started recording about you know the difficulties of of letting go a bit of you know creative yeah. control and that sort of thing did, did you find that difficult when you... Because I guess you, you started teaching and then you got to a point where you had too many students and you couldn't deal with it all yourself. Yeah. Was well, it a hard choice to sort of take someone on to fulfil some of that? It was difficult letting go of students because, you, especially, you know, they've been with you. You've, you've started them off and you've seen them develop. And yeah. then I had to take a step back to run the business. So everybody was telling me that. Yeah. I mean, I was going mad. I was, I was getting up in the morning and doing admin and then flying off around schools to teach in the afternoon, coming back, doing more admin, and sometimes about three in the morning. Right. And so I had to step back. But I was getting teachers. But when you sort of, you know, you like the students you work with, not just, and they like you, and not just because you're a good teacher. I mean, that's actually secondary. Mm. If the kid doesn't like you, you don't get on with them, then it's mm. never going to work. And um, so I have a good relationship with my students. And it's very difficult for me to say, which I have just had to say to some of them, right, when you come back after Easter, you're going to have a different teacher, you right, know, yeah. and they kind of look at you all sort of uh, puppy-eyed and, you know. <laughs> but it's just the way that it has to, you know, if you're going to grow the business, you have to step back. And to relinquish that was difficult. And also, like I was saying about letting my wife take over the admin, which 
No, I, I was at a point where I said to her, I don't want to ever, ever do admin ever again. You know, yeah. It was driving me mad. But then when she did take it over, I can't help it. I, you know, I'm sort of, oh, what are you doing? You know, have you sent, have you sent that email? You know, it, oh, I, I saw there was that. Have you done the invoices yet? You know, poor her. But, um, but yeah, you, you do need, it is difficult, but you just have to do it, don't you? Otherwise, you're just going to wear yourself out. Yeah, you become the bottleneck, don't you, to the... The business growing yeah. as well, I suppose. Exactly, and, um, yeah. Uh, uh, and being where you, you actually want to be. Uh, I mean, it causes problems, even at the circus. I remember when Nell first got somebody in to direct the show, other than herself. There were massive tensions, and <clears throat> I was always having to try and be diplomatic and reassure Nell, who could be quite paranoid, you know, at times, that what the director was doing was in her interest and was right, and it wasn't just a personal dig. Right, <laughs> yeah. Um, but she did it. She did, you know, and 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 I know that she, she became ill, obviously. She could do less, but um, Carl McChrystal, who directs it now, has been doing it for a few years, and once you've done it, once you've let that control go, I think it's just, um, it's easy, isn't it? Mm. I mean, you still obviously have to be in control to some degree, but... Um, <clears throat> It's uh, it's just a necessary part of what you're doing to natural growth. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I mean, I, I suppose um, it's hard, sort of, yeah, letting someone else represent your business as well, isn't it? I guess because you know, especially yours is very personal. Yeah, I mean, I do a Christmas show, concert, Christmas concert, and um, and we have a lot of kids play it, and I, I kind of host it. Yeah. If somebody said to me, I have thought about it because it's not, it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of effort, um, planning and stuff. If somebody said to me, well, why don't you let so-and-so, you know, Alex do it this year, you know, you just turn up and sit in the audience. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm like, I, yeah, I can't think of it. I can't think of one good reason why I shouldn't other yeah. than, well, it's my baby and I'm going to be selfish about it, you know? Yeah. yeah. But actually I, I, maybe this Christmas I will do that because, um, I don't have, you know, there's no need for me um, necessarily to do it and put, give myself extra work. What do you think the fear is then that, that, uh, of, of the doing that? The fear, um, I, I, exactly, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's, well, part of it might be, um, I say ego, but also also the fact that, you know, I'm, I miss the performance aspect of what okay. I do. Yeah, and that is in itself just a kind of performance, really. Yeah. Um, and um, so yeah, and also being able to have a connection with the parents, so that afterwards I can chat to them, and they know they might be seeing me for the first time. Mm-hmm. You know, so I suppose it's me. It's me saying, right, this is me. I'm the one that's you know responsible in the end for teaching your kids, and this is what we've got your kids to do and how they're doing it. And so I suppose it's, it is kind of being the face of the company. Um, yeah. So, you know, there are reasons why maybe it's not such a good idea that I would just hand that over, but I don't think it would hurt that much, really. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's one of those funny things, isn't it, that, yeah, you'd actually probably end up with more, uh, like, being able to more connect with the parents and things because you could actually be there, like you say, in the audience enjoying it and mm. being a bit more uh, relaxed and yeah. having those conversations and saying, look, this is what we've created, but... um yeah, that performance thing, I guess, like you say, that's probably in the bones a bit to some, some degree, is it? And uh, Yeah, and it's, you it's need, really need difficult. You need that outlet. I mean, you don't, I thought we'd be able to get gigs all over the place based on just, um, you know, my, my sort of history as, as um, a musician of Gifford Circus or something. But, you know, um, finding gigs around Charlton, I suppose because the festivals are such a big thing, everybody goes to those, but normally people from outside Cheltenham, I would have thought, bit like the races um i mean I, I know i go to some of the music stuff but um outside of that there isn't a great music scene you know mm-hmm. probably you have to get to bristol and then mm. bristol music scene are very um i don't know they don't like to have artists from different areas of the country they try and keep the Bristol right, scene bristolian okay. Yeah, which is fair enough, and I don't, I, you know, I don't have a problem with that. But it just means for people like myself, it's just difficult to play there. Mm. And London, I used to do. They called it the toilet scene, London, which was um, places like the Dublin Castle and places that used to be really influential venues. And we we got some headline spots there as well. But um, 
But they're now just rip, just promoters ripping you off, you know. Right, okay. Which is why they call it the toilet scene. Right, okay, gotcha. Um, <laughs> so playing live these days is really difficult. Yeah. Do you think there's like an element of performing when you're teaching? Uh, no, because I, I very, very rarely, especially piano, play the instrument myself during a lesson. Only you, possibly you, in piano if I'm demonstrating some particular fingering that needs to be done. Yeah. Or or a student struggling. And I, I say, let me just try that and see if I can change the fingering to make it easier. But apart from that, I very rarely play it. No, but I mean, like, as a teacher, do you think you're kind of performing in a way because you're kind of going through the... You're going through the like the same kind of motion, not not exactly the same, but it's you know it's similar, I suppose. Each time you have a student who mm. you're, you're taking and progressing, it's like a a sort of system, and as such, do you have to. I, I don't know because I've often felt that like um, when I was doing lots more photography, that there's an element of performing, like especially if you're doing like a headshot session or something, because it is quite similar each time. You have to almost you're going you know, into a role. Do you think you're going? Yeah, going into a bit of a role in order to you know, get people to feel comfortable and, and go through that whole thing. But I just wondered if it was the same with teaching or maybe... Yeah, I hadn't really thought about it. I guess so. I mean, I, I don't... <clears throat> I'm very informal in my lessons. I mean, it doesn't matter which school I'm at. You know, this, my students call me Pete, you know. <laughs> and it, it, some of them say Mrs. Sand, but that's, that'll change pretty quickly. <laughs> it's not that I... You know, I, I worked at a school and they used to call me Mrs. Sand, but I just... I, I like to. It's. I like to feel like I'm just mates with the students, and yeah. so yeah, I do try and make them. You know, maybe I'm a bit over friendly or something. Just, just, you know, if 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 they've had a haircut, you might want to spend a few minutes sort of talking about that. And so I don't. I don't like the kind of idea of teacher-student yeah. roles within within one-to-one teaching. I know obviously yeah. if you're teaching in a class, then you need to do that. You have to. Yeah. Which is why I'm not a teacher because I find it very difficult to do that. Yeah. Um. But I want, yeah, I think um, I want the students to like me. Because like I said, if they don't like you, you've had it. It doesn't matter. You could be the best musician yeah. in the world. I mean, I've had um, some amazing teachers, well, amazing musicians teach for me who just lost students because they, there wasn't that connect. Right, okay. There's a bit yeah, of a disconnect. Yeah. And that's quite common amongst musicians because musicians can be quite introverted or a bit socially awkward. And right. kids will pick up on that straight away. And that's right. what their focus is going to be when they're... So <clears throat> I guess you're, yeah, falling into a role of trying to be the most accessible person. Mm. In and also, some of my teachers who are just naturally gifted uh, with with younger students, you know, they they have students who will confide stuff in them that they wouldn't in any other teacher's school or their parents. Right, you yeah, know? Yeah. So there is definitely a role to be played, role modelling, should mm. I say, um, is an important part of it. So yes, in that sense, I guess you there is a, a performance element where you are trying to come across as being, some, you know, somebody that you weren't when you got up out of bed at seven in the morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, after a, a night on the tequila or something, whatever. <laughs> but but you, you have to put on the sheen and and be friendly and and, insp- and inspiring as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I always kids will say, "Oh, I'm never going to be able to do that." Yeah, you are, you know. Look, I'm going to show you how easy it is and, and break it down. And just, um, so yeah, you have to have that kind of radio presenter type kind of vibe, I suppose. Yeah, you've got to, yeah, you've got to sort of switch it on, like you say. You can't, yeah. if you get out of bed in a bad mood or something, you can't, because that's that kid's half an hour, hour with you exactly. that week, and it's important to them. Mm. And you can't just be sort of uh, grumpy. and No, <laughs> you've got to be really patient. Yeah. I mean, I'm teaching the same stuff, because all of my students are mostly the primary primary kids um, of similar age and ability, so I'll be you know learning these teaching these little tunes from their their little piano time book over and over again through the week, you know. <laughs> and you want to scream, "Why can't you play that by now?" <laughs> but it's oh, that's really good. You know, what if what if we try this? So, but I don't mind. I, you know, I do have patience with with that sort of thing. Um, I, and I, I'm not good enough on on my instruments to have that attitude of I can't understand why they're not getting it, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, but then there's the reward, isn't there, of seeing people actually get it? And you know, I love teaching people things like I've taught people photography and how to snowboard and whatever it is, that sort of thing. And right. when you see them and they like 
it clicks. It's so cool, isn't it? Yes, and and that's another really important thing about doing the exams, actually, is that <clears throat> that they are over the moon when they get the certificate. But right. the most important thing about that is when you're learning an instrument and probably any other skill, but when you, especially instruments, you never realise that you're getting better because it's such a slow process. Mm. So even if you say to somebody, you couldn't play that six months ago, or you said to me, there's no way I'll be able to play that. It's kind of, you know, gradually happened. And so it's not the most rewarding thing because even though you've sort of learnt more, it hasn't registered that you suddenly can play this thing over there. <laughs> yeah. So when you get your exam result, then that's a really big attainment, you know, achievement, you've, you've done it, you know. Yeah, you are now, yeah. so anybody asks, I'm a grade one pianist, you know. Yeah, yeah. And they will ask at some point. Um, so you can measure your own success by that. Mm. Um, and, you know, I've just had a kid, he's, he's 12, he's just got a, a merit for his grade five singing exam. And it's astounding because... Vocals obviously have to develop, and I we didn't know when he was even when he had did his grade three. I said to his parents, I said, "Look, we don't know whether we're going to be able to get him physically through this because we don't know." They might say his voice hasn't developed enough. I mean, it's rock and pop syllabus, but which is quite hard, you know. And now he's on his about to do his grade six and we'll start his right. grade six, and he's he's tiny. Yeah, you know, he must be belting it in, the, in his in his exams, you know. <laughs> um, but he's he's quite gifted, and so are his brothers. But um. Yeah, you do. I remember getting my exam results, graded exam results, and uh, it's a great feeling. So you, you know. did you, you did exams when you yeah, were a kid yeah. as well? Yeah, yeah. I did, I did my grade yeah. five piano, grade eight, and then I obviously went on to the London College of Music and carried on um, with those. Um, and you know, I never thought I'd get my degree, um, right. but I did. I, I just sort of again didn't work. If I could do that again, I, you know, I. I'd have just enjoyed it a lot more, I think. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, so what, what's the future then, I mean, in terms of the business, I guess, is it? The future, I hope, is that we are going to be able to get into more schools. And, you know, I never want to be a big corporate, you know, uh, it has to sort of be true to what, a bit like the circus, really. I mean, I, I think I left at just the right time before it got too big, you know, Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm not saying it's too big, but um, a, a different thing to what you yeah, started, though. I suppose before, yeah, before it changes too much to, to be recognisable from what it was. You know, I mean, I want the sort of the standards that the because the thing is, one of the things with music teaching is it's not regulated in, in schools. Right, okay. you okay. could be in there teaching anything, and they were, as I explained. You know, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so with all my tutors, I can oversee it and say, right, we're all on the same page. Here's the syllabus. We're using Trinity and Rock School. That's it. Mm-hmm. You know, and our aim is to get them through the exams because if we don't get the results in, nobody's going to want tuition from us. Mm-hmm. End of. But we're going to make it fun. We're going to do some. So the, I think you know, unless you once you start sort of um, getting too big, it's going to be more and more difficult to do that. Mm-hmm. But then I suppose you know you, there are ways of dealing with it. So I don't know what the future is really. Um, short term, yeah, we'd like a few more schools, and we would like to at least make enough make a living out of it really mm. and we're scraping by at the moment mm. because it is a labor of love and we don't make a lot of money f- f- as a business but um but we've you know as we've won these awards recently um we're on the right track yeah i just need a bit yeah. more business sense i think <laughs> really yeah but that's like something that we all learn isn't it as we go along like yeah. i mean i had no idea when i started and you just gradually start to learn these things don't you and, and you yeah know, i definitely don't I feel like I'm only still at the beginning. You kind of sleepwalking into it blind because you don't. I mean, that's why I met you because I didn't really know what I was doing and needed help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And so, yeah, it's just one long journey. Yeah, I think so. But uh, that's that's a good thing, I I suppose. That sort of links back to what you're saying about kids needing something to work towards. You know, we all need something to work towards, I suppose, don't we? Our whole lives. Yes. I mean, I was told by someone at the Growth Hub that, you know, okay, well, if you get 24 schools um, and full occupancy, then you'll be turning over, you know, half a million a year. Well, we're probably not anywhere near that now, but that's something that made me think, well, actually, this is doable. I can make a living out of this, (laughs) you know. I might not need to get that big, but um, there is a way of doing it. Because I know that people have said to me, yeah, tuition, you know, public sort of tuition, 
it's a lot of work for not much reward. And it's true, but I mean, that's what I, I'm a musician. There are sort of limited possibilities. Although it's given me a lot of freedom. You know, I don't have a nine to five job. Mm. You know, I don't need to have a nine to five job. I have good work, home life balance. I get to spend the time with my daughter that I want. Mm. And um, and I have still have job fulfillment. And the company's got a really good rep, you know. I've mm. never had to advertise. Um, it's just word of mouth and... Great. So um so I'm in a pretty good place, yeah. Yeah, 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 definitely. I oh, know. That's really cool. Well, uh yeah, thank you again for coming in and sharing no, all that. Super me. interesting. And musicguru.me people can go and Yeah, anybody find you there. interested in any sort of tuition or just have a chat about stuff, um I yeah. think there's a form, you know, you can submit questions okay, yeah. or just go along to or Facebook Music Guru. F- okay, um, yeah, Pete, Pete Music Guru on Facebook. Yeah. And uh, can email you direct, Pete, at musicguru.me. That's right, yeah. And then you give me a Bandcamp link here as well to Oh, album. that's my band, yeah. Pete, okay. I've got a, my band, I released an album, and I've got a band that we play live, Pete Sane and the Anthem Sprinters. Okay, So cool. there's a Bandcamp, yeah. Excellent. If you, you know, if you... Um, Anyone remembers the good old days of the circus and wonder what I'm doing now musically, then <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, know, you go along there and follow us. That's yeah. where you are. Excellent. Cool. Well, yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. You've been listening to the Thriving Three Counties podcast with me, Dan Barker. You can find links to all the episodes and show notes over at danbarkerstudios.com forward slash podcast. If you've enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Helps other people find the show and connect more people in the region. Thank you very much for your time listening. I hope you've enjoyed it and we'll see you next time.